Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 367. I mean, you definitely want to hire great people, but you definitely need to set them up to be successful. And those are like really the systems. So like, and I try and say it to people all the time, when somebody messes something up, I'm like, okay, what did I do wrong? Like, that's the first thing I ask myself. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Yo, guys, what if I told you I found a menu that's made from paper that's waterproof and rip-proof? This thing is basically dirty-proof. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, get me some of that. Uh, I hate cleaning menus, but you can have this menu. It's called Terra Slate Menus, guys. You'll get 15% off if you use promotional code UNSTOPPABLE at checkout. So what are you waiting for? Head over to TerraSlatePaper.com. One question for you. Does your social media game have room for improvement? The answer is yes for everyone across the board. We all need to continuously be improving to be unstoppable. But if you don't necessarily know exactly what you're doing, social media can be super intimidating. You need a strategy. You need a plan. Where does it come from? I'll tell you where it comes from. The number one marketing and promotion book, Bar and Restaurant Success. Head over to freebrsbook.com. One more time, freebrsbook.com to get your free copy of this book. I can't make it any easier. So with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Kyle Itani. Chef, are you feeling unstoppable today? I'm feeling unstoppable today. All today right. is a good- Awesome. And a special shout out to our boy X or Xavier over at Shoebox for making this introduction. I can't wait to dive in. Kyle Itani spent most of his life around food, being raised in a farming family. It was around his time in college that he fell in love with cooking, trying to recreate what he saw on the Food Network channel. Before long, he would find his mentor, Sho Camillo. Did I say it correctly? Got it. That's right. <laughs> and uh, his interest in Japanese cuisine took off. Today, he is the chef owner of Hopscotch Restaurant, Itani Ramen, and Thistle Meats, all located in California. I can't wait to dive into your story, chef. But before we do, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Uh, my, my success mantra is just like learn something every day. It's, it's easy. It's, it's simple. People have heard it before, but really like this business is the beauty of this business for me is that every day is a new day and it really doesn't matter what happened yesterday. It could have been the best service of your life, the worst service of your life. And it's out the window because tonight there's a whole new set of customers coming yes. in. So it's just learn something new every day and crush it. Yes. You're only as good as you are today. And show up today better than you were yesterday. And that curiosity, I love how you, you just have this curiosity. And just looking into your story, it seems like it was that curiosity very early on, that interest in learning and trying to recreate what you're seeing on TV and just getting out there, buying the ingredients, failing hard, but you know, yeah. keep trying and 
if you just keep showing up, trying to learn new things and get better before long, you will get there. Uh, I love it. So uh, let's go back to that time when you, you started falling in love with cooking. Bring us to that moment. And what was it um, that was going on that really just made you fall in love with it? Yeah, I think early, like early on, just growing up, I'd always been around food, uh, whether, you know, family cooking and, you know, parents cooking, grandparents cooking. And I never really thought of it as a profession, just like that was just an awesome part of life. Yeah. <laughs> and then I got into college and it was doing, uh, you know, going to school and some things that were like not the most awesome part of life. And I was like, yeah, but what if I just didn't do this anymore? School, I mean, nice. and then did like what I always found joy in. And so um, I was living in San Luis Obispo. And uh, at that time, they had the Food Network there, where they didn't have it where I was growing up. And so I was super interested to see, like, programming on all these food. We had PBS, but it was like, this was totally different. And they only had three hours of cooking uh, or programming a day. And it was just on repeat, that same three-hour block all day. Um, so I would check that out and see what's going on. And I would try to go to the store and make stuff at, at the little apartment I was renting. And much to the chagrin of my roommates, who were like, what are you doing? And I had no idea what I was doing. So uh, it was a really fun time, though. But that's really where I was like, okay, this is cool. I think I want to, like, give this a go professionally and, um, and get out there in the restaurant industry. So how did you end up finding your mentor? How did that connection uh, come together? I was super lucky, really. I mean, I had been, and I didn't even know I really wanted to specialize in Japanese food at the time. Um, I'm half Japanese, so I always had a connection to cooking Japanese food as a way to kind of uh, explore what it means to be Japanese and through food, I guess. Um, But I had gone to culinary school, and then I took a job, like, a crazy person on a cruise ship. <laughs> so I was doing that and I was just like not loving it. And I was looking on Craigslist all the time, you know, back home, which was Sacramento at the time. And, um, there's this Japanese restaurant that was hiring. They're opening, you know, a new Japanese restaurant. And it was this chef from the Bay area who was out there consulting for it. So I just like, uh, submitted a resume and then, you know, quit the cruise ship head back and uh, had an interview and um, that ended up being the most transformative move of my whole career because after working with him, you know, he left and went back to the Bay. I stayed there for a while at that restaurant and then he had called me and was like, he had a new opportunity in Oakland at a restaurant. So I, I moved to Oakland and did that and then we opened a restaurant in San Francisco and I ended up working for him for about seven years. Oh, wow. um, it was awesome. So, uh, yeah, definitely mentors are, are crucial in this industry. Um, yeah, so absolutely. My biggest mentor along the way. So, I mean, it's, I could ask the question, you know, what did you learn from show? Am I saying his name correctly? Show? I just want to make sure I'm yeah, <laughs> giving him justice yeah, totally. here. Um, what were like the, I mean, it, that's such a broad question. Seven years <coughs> under, you know, working under somebody there, you must've learned so much, but reflecting back on your time, with show, what are the biggest takeaways um, that you can pull from his influence? You know, I think it was just that I'd never seen food like that before. I mean, it was so um, refined, <clears throat> but also so clean. And um, which is like probably my favorite thing about Japanese food is that it's just very cut and dry. I mean, and without really putting restrictions on or parameters, it's like, 
you know, maybe there's five ingredients. You can look at a plate, you can see and identify all five ingredients. Um, and they all just go together and, and, um, it was beautiful. And then also the aesthetics of the plating and just like how simplistic it was. Um, the idea of like things not being symmetrical at that time, everything was like big white round plate ring mold (laughs) in the center, you know, (laughs) but now this is like totally different things, not symmetrical being plated on, on funky, like thrown ceramic plates. And it was just so cool. And it just opened up a whole new, like, realm for me and i just um i'm very much like a self-learner so everything i would learn from him in the day i would go home and study and read books and all this stuff at night about like the same stuff and it was great it was a great time so you learned a ton of cooking uh he was your cooking mentor but what about just business mentor and life mentor and somebody uh you know as you know we need so more than cooking skills in this industry to make it what else did he teach you that served you in your career? Yeah, at that point, I mean, when we moved out to the restaurants in, in Oakland and San Francisco, um, those were big restaurants. And so we had like weekly manager meetings and monthly P&L meetings and quarterly P&L meetings. And it was kind of optional for me as a sous chef to attend, uh, you know, those bigger P&L meetings. But I just... I, I just said, no, I have to do this. This I have to go to these meetings. I really want to. I was interested in it. And um, we worked with a big accounting company. And the head of that, he would come out and kind of run the P&L meetings. And I was I remember being so like fascinated that he would never come to the restaurant. But he could look at the books and just tell us, like, oh, your bartenders are overpouring. Or, oh, there's like this. He just knew what was going on in the restaurant without even being in the restaurant. I yeah. thought that was amazing and fascinating and i just kind of uh ended up really loving those meetings to go to and and learn from from uh it was a huge management team too so everyone had something to contribute and i just absorbed as much as i could awesome can you reflect back on this time uh aside from numbers being so important paying attention to the numbers is the underlining message there but what else did you learn from all these management position people or any specific P&L lessons or anything that just really looking back at that time that you can share with our audience lessons you picked out from just choosing to attend these meetings? Yeah, I think that like (laughs) what I learned the most was it was really interesting because everyone had a strength and I looked at show who was incredibly successful um, as a chef and as a restaurant owner and he didn't know everything. And he wasn't even trying to learn everything. Like he knew enough to understand what was going on, but definitely hiring the people that were the experts at it is the way to go. I mean, so like I just taught, or I I guess I learned from that whole thing that you just hire what you don't know, but know enough to understand what they're talking about in the simplest sense. Yes. I love it. So powerful. Uh, Sometimes we look, at just the bottom line, like, oh, it's going to cost this much to get an accountant or that much to have an attorney or, you know, but the bottom line is like, don't look at the, I mean, yes, numbers are important, but it will be way more expensive if you choose not to get those 
right. items or, or those services, and then you try to do it yourself and you screw up and you might not be able to recover. I mean, those services pay for themselves because you will get into trouble. You will miss something and it, it could bury you. Such a great lesson. Surround yourself with, with the experts. Know your lane, stay in it, and get people who are strong where you're weak. Totally. Definitely, important. because at the end of the day, you yourself you're an expert as well. Maybe you're an expert at, you know, the, the creating the dishes. So like really focus your time on that. Don't waste time with like trying to, you know, reconcile the books, like hire someone to do that. But you know, know enough when you have that one hour meeting, what's going on, but like focus on what you love and what you uh, are, are great at. So hopefully those are the same things. I love it. Know your lane, know your strengths, lean into it, be the best at that. Surround yourself with those who are strong where you're weak. Awesome lesson there. Um, so you also, any other lessons you, you learned from show before we move on? I want to make sure we're, we're extracting as much value as possible. Well, yeah, I mean, it was seven years, so it was a long run. Yeah. Um, and I definitely was, uh, I started out, you know, just like a cook, barely a cook, and ended as like chef's cuisine after seven years. So it was, you know, it was a great time. And I think watching people come and go and just kind of not, um, everyone's there for a different reason, you know, and it was interesting to see and show definitely recognize that. And, uh, you know, basically in any business, really people are the greatest asset you have in your company, especially for restaurants. Cause it makes up such a large chunk of the monthly expenditures. So, you know, getting people in that are there for the right reasons. Um, what are the right reasons? Well, they want to be there to, to learn. I mean, it, they should be there to learn. They should be there to, to have the same mission that you have um, about food and about service, um, hospitality. And, um, you know, show taught me a lot about hospitality, too, because it's so easy to be like, I'm a chef in the kitchen. Here's my special. Here's the price. Like, sell it. And, you know, and then, like, it doesn't sell. And you're like, what the hell? Those servers are the worst. But, no, it's like you got to think about it from the whole, like, okay, why did it sell? You know, I mean, just little tips as a chef that he always did, like any plate that wasn't finished, he wanted the buster to walk it by the pass before it went to the dish pits. You could see, you know, and then you notice patterns and like, uh, like yeah. if four plates, you know, all like the pork chop ever was not finished four times. It's like, Oh, Whoa, we got to like, what's going on with this dish. I mean, just so much to, um, to be aware of just keep a broad like scope on the entire restaurant not just what's happening in the kitchen you know was was kind of the um, the, the takeaway there yeah and just attention to detail too and i loved how you mentioned the the value of people and people being the greatest asset in finding people that are aligned with your mission uh but at the same time like how do you find people that are aligned with your mission what do you do you have a solution to that yeah, you know, I guess for me, like, um, you definitely, I mean, there's there's layers to it. You want your, your management staff, your two chefs, your, your your leads, your supervisors, your managers to have that, to, to be those people. Um, and it's really hard to hire those people. And so uh, I've been pretty fortunate um, to have uh, those people in my life, uh, kind of either started out with me, um, when I was not a restaurant owner or started out as a dishwasher or prep cook for me. And I've, I've moved up into those roles. Um, so definitely just laying out people for people, a, a clear path to, um, promotion and mm. to growth. 
to keep them motivated. Um, it's huge. It's great to be able to not just say those words, but to show them the cooks in the kitchen were like, hey, this guy was a dishwasher, and now he's like our lead cook at this mm. service. So, Dude, exist uh, to, to serve others. Exist to be there. It's not about you and your restaurant. It's about what you and your restaurant can do for other people progressing in their careers, serving other people. And, I mean, another big part of that, um, and I want to, I'm curious what you think about this. Also, point as far as attracting people to your, onto your restaurant, onto yourself, what's your brand say about you? I mean, is your brand saying what, does it project your mission, your core values and what you stand for? Uh, because you need to put that out into the ether for, for people who are like you to discover you and get, and come learn from you. Do you think that had anything to do with what he did, his, what he was putting out into the world? Um, yeah. I mean, for me, at, at, at like hopscotch and it's just been, I've, I've tried many different tactics when it comes to like how the brand is positioned for hiring, you know, staff. I, I you know, cause people respond to different things really. Mm. Um, you know, so like we kind of put it out there one round with like, Hey, this is a super fun restaurant. Everyone's chill, whatever. And the next ad will be like, uh, you know, this is what I demand of my staff and like <laughs> bullet point it. Like if you're looking for a serious position to grow your skill sets, like, you know, so it's kind of, we kind of just go back and forth, but you know, it's, it's just, it's just people responding to different things. And so both those things are true though. It's just, um, it within the re- work culture of the restaurant, it's just trying to get people to identify with one and say, I'm going to apply there, you know, it's, it's kind of, um, not even just I'm going to apply there, but like I'm going to apply here, and this is the job I really am interested in because yeah, yeah you know, the blanket resumes across every Craigslist ad, you know, you get a lot of those too. So. Yeah, so I'm curious if uh, one way we can find out our strengths or our weaknesses and what we're good at, what we're bad at, is listening to what people are saying to us, commenting on what we're doing. So looking back at that time with Joe, um, can you reflect on any instances where people kind of would mention something about you that maybe came up often or is there anything that you think you learned about yourself working for shoe that you didn't realize beforehand? Yeah, I guess like I kind of, I mean, I, I was, I ended up being kind of the guy in the kitchen, the person in the kitchen that anybody in the restaurant could talk to. They could like start a conversation with, um, where a lot of times, you know, sous chefs or whatever are so blinded they just want to do their their prep list and knock out their station and i just had a more of a of a holistic approach to the whole operation so um yeah i guess that kind of just ha- i didn't really realize it but that would be the thing like if there was an issue it, uh, someone would always come to me first um with what do you it, mean by that holistic approach managers or even you know whatever so can you can you dive into that what you meant by yeah that this holistic approach what do you mean by those with those words i guess that is like because i kind of saw the whole picture um of the restaurant i mean you know we talk about like from the minute somebody calls the restaurant to make a reservation like their service experience starts Mm -hmm. and then like so then when they're you know parking and like all this counts this is all part of your dining experience right so it's like how easy is parking like should we do something to help us we do valet like what should we do to help people park better more efficiently and conveniently and then like okay they come in and they're at the host stand now what's that experience like and they sit down it's like going through step by step um the whole experience uh was really interesting and it provides a different 
you just have a different respect for each position when you think of it that way. Like, mm-hmm. for instance, a lot of times pastry chefs get like the shaft basically in all the kitchens. They have the smallest station, the most busted equipment. Um, you know, definitely like an afterthought on the menu. But if you think about like the meal as a whole and like the diner is eating your food and the last thing they taste is coming off of this station. Now you have a different perspective on like, damn, that pastry station better be on point. The the last last impression. impression. Absolutely, man. I love it, dude. Uh, So one other thing I I heard in that story you're sharing or this part of your life or what people are saying about you too, is that you are approachable. And I think that's huge. Huge being somebody that people are comfortable going to and sharing their thoughts, sharing their opinions and just being open and being a listener. Would you say that's true about yourself? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I like to think that even now. I mean, we don't have, I, there's definitely not like a, hey, if you got a problem, talk to your shift supervisor and they'll talk to the sous chef and they'll talk to me. It's like, no, nah, just come and find I'm me. You know, it's just yeah. like, I'm here for you. So, awesome. um, even with the, you know, it is nice with my partner at Hopscotch because she's the GM here, but, you know, we're partners. And so, um, but her service staff can talk to me and my cooks can talk to her. There's no, like, we really try and break down that FOHBH wall as well, just to have that whole like, uh, uh, team element. Awesome. So I got to mention it real quick, just because it's so important. The path you took one thing, whenever people ask me like, how, you know, what should I do? What's your advice for me? I'm like, go find somebody who's doing what you're interested in who's amazing, who's the best at what they're doing and just do whatever it takes to be influ- influenced by that person. Get get that person's influence. Get that person's wisdom. Just what wash dishes for free if you have to, if it means you get your foot in the door and just surround yourself with greatness. Uh, and it sounds like that's what you did. Uh, and that's a huge takeaway from your story. Yeah, you I don't that? think I knew exactly the, uh, like <laughs> the mechanics behind it. But looking back on it now, the way I look at it is, is everybody... First of all, if you're looking, you find somebody like that person really is doing what I want to do. So you want to talk to them about it. Mm-hmm. Now, it could be intimidating, but chances are that person wants to talk about it yeah. because yeah, they spent their life perfecting it or becoming an expert at it or just working on the craft. Mm. And they're excited about it and they would love to talk to somebody about it. And so if you can add value to them in any way, whether that's just like taking them for a cup of coffee yes. or yeah, like washing dishes or whatever, bringing them like you were at the market and you saw some dope figs, you bought a case and you brought about, Hey chef, like I saw these, and then you could do something amazing with it. Just check them out. And then like, not even as like a produce rep, just as like a dude looking to be in the restaurant industry or, or get to that next level. And you just, you just bring and just talk to them and just say straight up like, Hey, I'm, I'm thinking about doing this. I would love to have 20 minutes of your time and just there it is. And, and more often than not, people are going to definitely take you up on it. Awesome. I love it. And um, yeah, nothing more to add to that ex- except just if you want somebody to take an interest in you, take an interest in them and Definitely. you got to give before you get uh, awesome stuff. And let's kind of fast forward. Um, I'm wondering you, you did some traveling, you went to, to Japan. Did you have, this idea that you're going to open your own restaurant before that trip or when did you, I know you met your business partner at, uh, working under show. Um, but when did this picture of your owning your own restaurant, when did this all come together? Like what, tell us how that right. formulated. Right. So I guess when I was winding down with show, um, you know, I'd kind of bounced around between the two restaurants that we were operating 
And I just kind of felt that seven years I had learned so much and I was just ready for another chapter, a new, a new challenge, so to speak. So I wanted to go to Japan and like learn food in Japan. And, um, my plan was to go there and do that. And so I moved there for a few months and, um, I just, it just didn't, things didn't work out. Um, you know, I was like running out of money. I couldn't really earn money there. And like, but it was great experience. I was being very frugal. It was awesome. I was like learning just more so like how everyday people there interact with food. There's hold it in such reverence and it's such an important part of their life and culture. And so I took that away and then I came back to California and I was like, okay, well, who am I going to work for? And, you know, there's great chefs here and none of them really, I wasn't stoked. I wasn't like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm so excited to go work for that person. And so I was like, man, maybe that means that I should just open my own restaurant. And like, th that's really the mindset that I had. Cause I just like, there was a couple of chefs. I was like, I'll be pretty happy working for them. It'll definitely be cool, but I don't know if it'll be as, um, satisfying as it was working for show. So I guess the next step is to try and do my own thing. And, um, that's when I really started thinking about opening my own restaurant. Okay. So what year was this when you, when you really started having, this uh, one? that's like 2000, early 2011. Okay. And you opened in 2012. So what things happened between this, this, uh, aha moment of, I think I'm going to be happiest working for myself and actually opening your first restaurant. Yeah, well, I had a, definitely a shift, and I took jobs for sure in that time. Um, but every job I took, I had the mindset of what can I learn from this job about running a business, not so much as like the food that they're doing. Um, so that was really a great way to approach it. I did some consulting work. I had um, one of my best friends is um, the owner of the meatball shop in New York. I went out there and helped them open their Greenwich location for you know a couple months and. Um, just, but like, just talking about the business side of things. And, um, when I came back out to California and then my partner, Jenny, you know, we had always talked about food and dining and service and business. And we were like, you know, we should just give it a go. We're both unemployed, so to speak. We're like doing odd consulting jobs, but, um, let's look for a place, a space. I want to so, dive into this partnership and why you, you approached her, what, what made her a good partner. But first I want to see if I can extract some nuggets from you. Uh, cause you said, you said you were doing this research to learn more about the business side. So what were some of the big lessons during that period that you can share with me and my audience about what you learned regarding business and what's important regarding business? <clears throat> yeah, let's see. So, I mean, working at the meatball shop and with those guys, <clears throat> they're, they're, they were at that point, they were just expanding so rapidly. Um, and so watching expansion and then, uh, the pitfalls of it, but also like what things, um, work better, you know, I think that, you know, kind of some things we say are like, Oh, the second restaurant's like the hardest, you know, the third restaurant gets a little easier, you know, you kind of have more systems in place to, um, okay, to yeah. have everything. So let's go. Yeah, deeper. Let's go deeper here. Uh, talking about expansion, huge lessons between different, you know, the first restaurant, to the second to the third restaurant. And you kind of hit hinted at it a little bit, developing the system. So what did you learn about developing systems? What do we need to know about the impact of systems? So like, this is still an ongoing debate for me, which I, I bounce back and forth. I mean, there's one side of it where I say, okay, we have to just 
create the most idiot proof systems. Mm -hmm. And that way everything has an answer. Any question has an answer. Every problem has a solution. It's all laid out. There it is. And on the other side of it is like, well, just stop hiring idiots. And so like, there's two ways to kind of, uh, approach that and like really uh, it's it's a i think the answer is a combination of both so i mean you definitely want to hire great people but you definitely need to set them up to be successful and those are like really the systems so like and i try and say it to people all the time when somebody messes something up i'm like okay what did i do wrong yeah like that's the first thing i ask myself is like what why did i put them in a position where that outcome happened and then I ha- try and have a conversation um, with them about that. And more often than not, there's, there's, it's, and if it happened with that person because of a system that I had or didn't have, it's going to be, it's going to happen again. Mm. And so if it happens more than once, I know the answer is that my system is flawed. Mm-hmm. And if it's an outlier, then I'm like, hey, man, stop doing that. <laughs> like, it's you, bro. <laughs> so, you know, that's kind of the way yeah. I approach it. But those systems are just, you know, it can be from everything from ordering and receiving to expediting to cleaning at the end of the night. You know, it's like all, you just have to have success in place for them to thrive off of. You have to show them the path to success and people want to do great at their job. Nobody wants to come to work and be like, Oh, I did such a shitty job today. They want to be like, (laughs) whatever it is, like, man, I left that dish pit so clean. That was awesome. You know, or whatever. I got out of here so fast tonight. I was so efficient closing down or, you know, those, those, those roles all the way up to being like, wow, I like really crushed food costs this month. Like we're doing so great at like utilizing every piece of our inventory. Like, you know, either way, that's really what it is. People need to be set up to be successful. Yeah, I love it. And uh, a great lesson from the E Myth, which you kind of touched on there, is we need to create syst- or you know people or system dependent businesses, not people dependent businesses. But when you put great people in system dependent businesses, it's like the sky's the limit. Uh, so yeah. it's definitely you need both elements there. You need to create the systems that make it possible for people to do great work but then you need to put great people into that system uh, i love how you went through that and explained absolutely it. and then that kind of ties back into what i said about the expansion part because you really can't expand especially to another operation i mean you might be able to expand like another service within your restaurant but you can't step outside of the restaurant unless you have a team for that and i I was like, oh, you need to have one strong person. But no, you need to have a team, a great team mm. to move forward. Yep. Uh, because, you know, I like to tell people with the success of restaurants is, you know, maybe some other businesses, if you nail seven or eight out of 10 things, you're going to have a successful business. But in a restaurant, you have to nail 10 out of 10. Like every single thing has to be on point. And because you never really know what that one thing is that's going to be the tipping point on the success of your restaurant. It all has to work. So the stakes are high for sure. Um, Okay. So anything else you learned during this time working with the meatball shop, helping them expand any key elements that you can drop on us right now before we move on? Yeah. I mean, for that point, I mean, I learned about buying power. Um, You know, they had a larger network. Um, They're looking at, their commissary kitchen to set up and then what that looked like to have a central location to produce items and distribute, but then doing the distribution themselves. And, um, 
I remember it was so fascinating. They had a, uh, they had a repair guy like on staff. So any, anything that was broken, like they had a guy already. It wasn't like, okay, who do we call for refrigeration? Who do we call for, you know, appliances? It was like one guy did it all and he would just go between all the restaurants and like fix stuff. I thought that was amazing. And I was like, Oh my God, I can't wait to get to that point. (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, Because yeah. So, but other than, you know, but then the other part about that is, I remember Daniel, especially, he's just like, well, we can talk about things forever and talk about the right way to, to launch something, or we can just do it with our best hunch now and fix it as we get yes, going. Yes. Otherwise, you just sit in meetings forever, and that's, that's what happens huge. when you have bigger operations. You're in meetings all day, and it's like let's just do it. Let's just stop talking about it, do it. And then like, we'll tweak it later. And at least we're up and running and getting the ball moving. Minimal viable product is a great book called the lean startup where Eric Reese talks about the MVP minimal viable product. That's just getting something out there. Don't waste time trying to master it before it gets out to the public. Cause it might be a flop. Nobody, it might not even work. So get something out there, try it. And then every day show up and make it a little bit better and just, you know, test it out. Beautiful stuff, man. This is turning out to be a great interview. I want to pull back even more layers, but we're still, I mean, we're 34 minutes into this, this conversation. (laughs) We haven't even got up to like present day and what you learned opening your own businesses. So let's kind of bring it back to that. Uh, your partner, why did you go to your partner and forgive me? I forgot her name. Uh, Jenny. Yeah. So Jenny and I had, uh, so she had been, when I moved to San Francisco, the, so um, when I started working in San Francisco, she had lived in San Francisco for years. And so I kind of didn't know any great San Francisco restaurants. So we ended up just going out to dinner or lunch or whatever and um, checking out these restaurants. And um, and not like we had money to go to great restaurants. It was like go to the bar at Gary Danko and have a glass of wine and just look at all the food that's coming out, you know, I mean, just but like talk about it. Like if you can't afford to eat it. Um, but just really just kind of trying to get a feel for what's happening in the, in the dining scene and how we can apply that to our own careers individually. But then over time it was like, okay, well, you know, we, we have a great conversations. We seem to like be on the same page with our standards. And I think that's really the key is that, you have to align yourself with someone with the same standards. Um, otherwise it's never going to work out. Um, so we, we had the same standards and we kind of had the same grit and determination. And I was like, let's just give this, a, let's just give this a go. Cause, uh, there was so much I didn't know about restaurant operations. Um, although I was pretty confident in the kitchen. Um, and then she was that person. So it was, it was great. What about values? Yeah, I mean, for us, um, the values of, of why we want to have our own business, um, those were very much in line. I mean, we definitely saw ourselves as um, being able to problem solve pretty well. And so, um, you know, we, we talked about what it meant to be employers. and um, But being in the industry for so long, you see – you know, people being taken advantage of or, um, you know, just kind of cast aside. And so with our opening team here, I mean, we were like literally so tight knit. It was great. And that was five and a half years ago almost. And, um, 
I think we have uh, we have one server left from that time and two cooks. I mean, that's pretty amazing. That awesome. doesn't sound like a lot, but that's amazing in this industry to have that much. And you know, a lot of them stayed three, four years. So, um, but it's pretty great. Anything else about this partnership that you think is worth bringing to light and sharing with our audience? Um, no, just that like there's gonna be bumps in the road you know and as long as you're just straight up with them about it just you know you're gonna mess stuff up for sure and just be like hey i messed this up (laughs) you know it's like and that's it and you're gonna mess up they're gonna mess up and as long as you're open about it you know that's all you can really do and um more times than not um they'll respect you more for just coming clean with something and just like uh helping each other push through it is kind of the way. So, yeah, I mean, there's so much value in just honesty and transparency and good communication and just not trying to be sneaky because if you get caught in the lie, I mean, that trust is going to be gone and you need that trust. You need to know that you're there for each other. And there, I mean, it, it sucks to admit your faults sometimes, but well, the, the, it's just going to do so much better things for your, your business relationships when you're just open and be like, whoops, my bad. Yep. Uh, let's move on. Let's learn from this. Yeah, thing. And, and the thing about that too is, is uh, especially in a restaurant, I mean, people can sense like the staff senses what's up, you yeah, know? Yeah. So like if you're having a riff with your partner, everyone on the staff knows it, oh. you know, just by the vibe and the, in the atmosphere, you know, like that's, so there, there's no reason for that. There's no need for that. It doesn't help service. It doesn't help the ultimate goals. So just, you know, really kind of like keeping the higher level, you know, conversations on that level and not letting it permeate through the staff is, is pretty important. I dig it, man. So you, you found your partner, uh, you kind of had an idea of what you want to do. Take us through the process of, uh, making it all happen. What were your biggest challenges from vision to actual execution? Can you reflect back on that time? Yeah, so we didn't really know what we were going to do. Like, we were like, should we open a bar with some food? Should we open a restaurant? And, like, <clears throat> we're kind of like, we don't really, like, we, we kind of think we know what we're doing. We're not 100% sure. We're like, well, let's try and open a bar with some food because that'll be, like, maybe a little safer bet, better margins. We'll see. So we knew we wanted to be in Oakland because we were priced out of San Francisco. I'd always lived in Oakland ever since I had moved out here. Um, so I knew the neighborhoods really well and we just hit the pavement literally. Like we just started up on like 51st and telegraph and just walked all the way down to like 12th street <laughs> and, um, looking for went back or? up to 51st on Broadway and back down on San Pablo. I and mean, we just kept going up and down, um, and writing down all the numbers in the windows of places nice. for lease and, um, found this found the hopscotch space um just by seeing the number in the window and calling the number and uh at the time uh it was already a restaurant it was a barbecue joint but it had closed down um they were no longer in business and at the time i had no idea that that is exactly what i should be looking for because doing an entire build out is uh very daunting Um, that's a lesson right there a bomb that was just dropped that we need to hold on uh the value of not if you can minimize your overhead and opening and go into a turnkey operation uh dive in deeper to that for us real quick yeah i mean that was the big difference between ramen and hopscotch and hopscotch so this place was um this is 2012 uh a closed 
but fully permitted uh, restaurant space. Um, it had been closed a few months, so nothing had really lapsed as far as like annual renewals. And um, even if it had, it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. But um, we got in here, didn't do anything, like really. Like we didn't pull permits for construction, so we didn't really change anything. I mean, they had a steam table in the dining room, and we just like ripped that out and put in a marble countertop and put some shelves with some liquor bottles behind it and called it a bar. I mean, it was very uh, crude and rudimentary, but um, it's all we could really afford. And, and you know, uh, the success of Hopscotch – uh, really it was the total all in project cost was about $125,000. Just like not a lot of money. I mean, we do, you know, we've done at least 2 million every year since we opened, um, in sales. So it's just like, that's, that's what you need for your first spot because you, you shouldn't take out debt or even equity um unless you like are really really certain about what you're doing and the way to do it is to kind of bootstrap it and for those first few years we didn't really personally make much money we put everything we earned back into the space we like redid the bar we uh you know just kept redoing the we did the floors we've got a new dish like every couple months every quarter it's like oh man this would be nice to take this money home but now we should like make this actually function wait so so let's let's dive into that real quick because there's a book i recently read called profit first and in that book he's talking about paying yourself first but keeping it very modest so you can pay your bills so you can live so you can you know not burn out make sure you take care of yourself first but you said that i mean is there something that you did to make sure you got taken care of first before you started putting money back into the business well okay so when i opened this restaurant i was 29 and i thought to myself uh now's the time because i have uh i mean i had a girlfriend who's my wife now but you know i'm not married no kids Mm -hmm. uh no real obligations so if i try this lose everything I'll be 31 <laughs> and yeah. uh, broke, which, okay. Easy it's like nothing right. in the world. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to like being like, you know, even my age now, like starting something and putting it all on the line. I have a young daughter now and it's like the idea of risking the financial security um, is tough. So like at the time I was like, okay, what do I need to really pay my bills? And it's really like rent cell phone bill and like I'll eat at the restaurant. <laughs> That's really the life that we lived for the first couple of years. Um, but it was great because we, we just took home what we needed um, to really do that and put the rest back into the restaurant. And um, yeah, it was all about, but minimizing our, our, uh, our costs each month. So I'm curious how, how big was the restaurant or how big is the restaurant? So when we opened, it was 30, about 30 seats. There's about 25 or 24 seats inside and maybe six or eight seats outside. So we could say 32, but the dining room, um, is cut in half by a bar. Our, our like bar is like half the dining room square footage. Literally it's pretty, (laughs) so it's a cool focal point. And the best part was when it's, there's only two or three tables, it still feels like an intimate restaurant, which is really nice. But when I opened, I didn't have a walk-in. I just had a series of low boys, basically. And um, and so very quickly, we needed more space. And we were so fortunate that not the space next to us, but the space on the other side of that space was open and connected in the back parking mm-hmm. lot. And so we took that space over, same landlord, built a walk-in and a prep room. And then eventually, 
um, a couple years later, the front part of that, we turned into a private dining room. So awesome. Um, yeah, we kind of expanded. So now we have about 50 seats or so. Yeah. I mean, the, the lesson I was looking to uh, or hoping to get out of this is the idea of just starting small. People have this grand vision of what they want to create a 150 seat restaurant. And they try to get that out of the gates at the, you know, at the expense of not, you know, taking on way too much debt, going too big, not being able to, to meet, you know, the, the, I don't know, the pay the bills and just all that stuff. Like you don't need to have that right away. Scale up, start where you can make a situation for yourself where you can bootstrap and scale into that situation. That ultimate vision that you have that multi, I don't know, whatever you want to do, but, um, I'm kind of rambling at this point. Um, no, it's totally true. And then the, the other side of that, though, is like after you create the success of the smaller scale operation, maybe just look at it and be like, maybe this is enough. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a bad thing. You're never going to have a successful small operation and be like, oh, it's so annoying. You're going to be like, this is incredible. Yeah. So, and, um, you know, just appreciate what, what you create. And then um, you can think about the next thing and how to do it. Even you can think of how to do it better because you have that knowledge base from the first go around. Yeah. And the other really important thing about starting small is something that you said to, you mentioned earlier, you kind of alluded to this is the importance of people. It's much easier to find like two or three good people to surround yourself with and start small than it is to find like five or six good people when you have a bigger operation. And then what you do is you, you know, you, you, you cultivate those people, you grow them over time. And then when it's time to grow, like you need opportunity for these people. So then you say, Hey, we're going to open another restaurant. We're going to expand. We're going to do private dining where I might open a ramen place. And then you, you take some people from that original restaurant, you give them, you know, raises or you give them promotions. And then you get to bring up maybe a server or a, a manager into a GM position, you know, and there's room for growth, but you, it's much, but you need, it's so much easier to find a few good people than it is to find a bunch and then mentor all those people at once. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, rambling again. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> so, okay. I'm one more question about the, the build out and getting started. how did you get the money? $124,000. So for Scotch, uh, we had about, 20,000 each that we had saved up. Now this is going back a year knowing that this was going to be the next step. So just really trying to save as much money as we could. Um, and then we took a loan from my grandmother that was, uh, for 75 grand. Um, and then we did a little Kickstarter campaign that was, that was pretty cool at the time, um, for another 15 grand. And that was, uh, that was about it. Awesome cool uh you know what any big lessons from that um yeah i mean i just you know the the big lesson i guess is is debt versus equity i mean um you know you can sell off share i could have sold the shares to to my grandma i guess instead of the loan um but you know you it's it's a balance i mean i don't know if there's everyone has a different opinion on it um but it's really nice now that we don't have any investors and yeah. <laughs> it's just everything is, uh, you know, ours, which is great. Um, but the other side of it is if things aren't going well, um, you know, equity can wait. Uh, yeah. <laughs> debt can't, you know, like debt, you're paying interest. It's accruing yeah. equity. You can say, Hey guys, this quarter didn't happen for us. Um, keep the faith. We're trying our hardest and mm-hmm. uh, we'll get back to you next quarter. Yeah. So, yeah. So wh- what about, 
the transition from one location to the second location in opening uh, the ramen shop. Any lessons there in growing and scaling? Um, yeah, I mean, that was a big, uh, that was a big deal for me. I mean, that was like, it was a big undertaking. We did a full build out. It was not a restaurant space. It was, uh, it was like a giant old Woolworths department store that had been divided into four spaces. So we had a quarter of it basically, um, basement downstairs. It's about 5,000 square feet total with the basement. Um, you know, we, uh, we raised money, uh, we raised about 800 grand. We total project cost was probably like 1.1. <laughs> we didn't have 1.1. <laughs> a lot of that we're still paying off, uh, with the you know, loans from our contractors and things like that. Um, but yeah, it's a totally different experience. So going into it, it was just that whole thing. What are we going to do? Are we going to, am I going to take debt? Am I going to take, um, you know, equity or sell equity? Um, so we went with equity and, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a interesting year for sure. The challenges of two locations, uh, it's been really great that they're nearby. I find myself walking back and forth between the two places quite often. Yeah. Uh, so, so real quick, what, what is, what was the biggest challenge in 2016 for you going from one to two? Um, yeah, just like the things that happened, um, the opening didn't happen as I envisioned as far as like a smash hit runaway success. Like we had at hopscotch. Um, uh, but it's been building. It's been good. Uh, I had a turnover with my, that was the hardest part. I turned over our head chef there who was going to be like the chef kind of GM position. Um, because it's a ramen restaurant inevitably. So we wanted it to be more system based. We're like, we're just making one thing. Um, you know, so we don't need a kitchen with every appliance. It's like, no, we need stock pot burners and a noodle cooker mm-hmm. and uh, a flat top for gyoza. That was like it. Um, but, you know, we had, I had an idea that this chef uh, was going to be like the head person of the whole restaurant and um, he ended up leaving just a couple months after we opened. So, why? What uh, happened there? Why do you think he left? That came on me to kind of run the restaurant for the rest of the year until I found some some new people to put in place. Did you learn anything from that experience? Like, do you know? Is there something? Do you, do you know the reason why he left? Like, can you? Get yeah, I mean, I don't really know the reason. It was it was um, it was tough. I, I I can only guess at it. I mean, he had come from uh, like great restaurants, but then he had been working. Um, back at, uh, at, at a Google campus in Mountain View. Okay. And so those jobs are nine to five and no weekends and no nights. And, you know, he, he, I thought, I think we both thought he really wanted to be back in the restaurant game, so to speak. And, um, but I think it just got too much. It was overwhelming and he definitely went back to the, to the corporate gig. So, um, yeah, I don't know if there's a specific lesson. I think sometimes things work out and sometimes they don't, yeah. and that one didn't. And you gotta roll the dice. You know, the more the lesson it. is, um, you know, what are you going to do and with that kind of adversity? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it was just I just like bore down. It was it was tough. It was tough for sure. I mean, my daughter was born on June 26th. The chef left on July 17th. So oh, man. it was uh, it was a crazy year last year. Oh man! But um, uh, I am going to. I'm kind of curious too about, and we got to, 
try to wrap this up real soon, but uh, there's yeah. so much I'm curious about. Uh, doing some like, one lesson I've learned interviewing so many great people is that they focus on doing one thing really well and not trying to do a bunch of things really well. Was that kind of your approach with doing ramen? Like something instead of trying to be everything to everyone, just do the find a niche that's not being served, do that thing really well. Was that part of what you're, you were trying to do or did it just happen that way? Yeah, that's, yeah, I, I wanted to do ramen and I wanted to do it really well. And I wanted to do it in a different way that I thought would like resonate with people. Um, Ramen is a tricky thing, man. I was, uh, you know, in, in Japan, there's a ramen shop literally on every corner, like more ramen shops than Starbucks kind of thing, yeah. right? And so there's this attitude in Japan where it's like, oh, what are you doing with ramen? Like, oh, that's cool. I want to check that out. Um, where you can't really do that with other Japanese cuisines. If you take liberties with like sushi or, you know, yakitori or stuff in Japan, you're more like flying in the face of tradition. But for ramen, the mindset is like, look, this is basically Chinese noodles. We stole it anyways. So do whatever you want to it. Yeah. And then people have really cool creative ramen shops that are based on, I don't, you know, foods in their prefectures or, you know, very regional, very specialized, very fun. So I wanted to kind of do that same thing out here, but the climate just wasn't the same as far as the dining base where they're just like, they were more like, I was thought it would be like, Hey, that's such a cool ramen shop. Let's go check it out. But it was more like, uh, I've had ramen once and this wasn't it. So I don't know what this is. Yeah. And it's like, Oh man. <laughs> and it's funny. Cause I was talking to a friend of mine who, uh, is an Italian chef and he was saying like, oh, same with pizza, man. People are like, yeah, your pizza is good. But the pizza I had in Rome was like this. And you're just like, okay, I don't know. Can't <laughs> win, man. But the pizza and ramen, a lot of, a lot of, uh, critiques out there, but yeah. it's all good. <laughs> oh man. Uh, there's so much more I want to talk about. Uh, you, you have this other location that you just recently absorbed, uh, the, 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 the butcher, anything you want to mention there, any big takeaways before we move to the speed round? Yeah. I mean, I was definitely not looking for another project. <laughs> um, but a friend of mine, really good friend <clears throat> and then amazing chef, like, when I think about all the top people I've worked with, um, like that I went up the ranks with, he's at the top of the list for sure. Uh, incredible chef spent a long time studying butchery was a butcher at, at a really great butcher shop in Napa. And so I was like, dude, if there's ever a time for someone to like do their own thing, it's the time for him now. And, um, I want to support that because he's supported me. Other people have supported me. So while I might not have the bandwidth for the nether project, I, uh, I took it on anyways. And, um, it's really rewarding though, because we talk about putting people first and investing in people and just like, uh, it's so great to see somebody else get to get to make, um, a livelihood for themselves. Yeah. And that's a big part of this industry. It's not being the rock star. It's recognizing who the rock star is and then being willing to invest and make whatever they do be known. And it's not a, you know, it's not always about you. It's about everyone else around you and helping other people and providing opportunities for others. Uh, and I th- that is a huge lesson right there. I'm happy that we did take time to, to go into that a little bit. You want to add anything? You good? Yeah, it's just, it's like, that's the key. I mean, you, the thought of doing anything else, <laughs> I mean, I would just have to have, you know, a, a great team around me to do it. And I have some people that, you know, when I think about my career who might do that thing, but 
also there's a thing that it can't just be they're a great bartender or they're a great chef. It has to be like they're a great bartender and a great chef. They have the same values that we talked about. They have the same standards um, and they have the same work ethic. And that's, you got to have all those things together Mm. because just looking for somebody to partner with, um, you know, you definitely need to really be very picky about who you're going to go into business with. Awesome. I love it. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. We've all been there. I'm sure you have been uh, just going through that stack of menus every night, pulling out the nasty, soiled, expensive pieces of paper, putting them aside, throwing them away. God, it's so frustrating. This is a line item that just gets the best of us. It destroys our budget and people are so freaking dirty. It's like, ah, Anyway, what if I told you that I discovered a piece of paper that's rip-proof and waterproof, 100% rip-proof and waterproof. This stuff is so durable, it's what the military uses to print their navigational maps and charts on. Like They trust this stuff, and now they're printing menus on it. Head over to TerraSlatePaper.com to learn more. Guys, I'm telling you, this stuff is durable. I've seen the owner, Kyle Ewing, Throw this menu through a dishwasher to prove its durability. Again, TerraSlatePaper.com. That's T-E-R-R-A-S-L-A-T-E Paper.com. And if you use promotional code UNSTOPPABLE, you will save 15% on your first order. Get after it. I will not sit here and tell you that I have the secret sauce to marketing. The truth is the best way to market your restaurant is to do an incredible job for walls marketing, busting your ass, providing incredible experiences and just being the best at what you do. That's how you market your restaurant. The second best way to market your restaurant is direct marketing. This is any way you connect directly with your guests and it goes beyond phone calls and in snail mail today, social media, Facebook ads, emails, text messaging, Wi-Fi, mobile phones, apps. There's so many ways to connect directly with our guests, but you would need a degree or countless hours of research and planning and strategizing to pull all these things together on your own. There is another option. You can adopt a proven, successful, completely customizable, done-for-you strategy and plan created by an expert and past guest mentor on Restaurant Unstoppable, Nick Fosberg. Nick shares everything he knows in his book, Bar and Restaurant Success. It's the number one marketing and promotion book out there right now. Get this book for free. Go to freebrsbook.com and implement these strategies and plans today. Freebrsbook.com. We're back. And the first question I have for you, Chef Kyle, is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Well, I would say it's probably to compartmentalize or to prioritize things over the other. I mean, things are going to go wrong and you got to like shake it off. Learn from it, but shake it off and move on as fast as you can. All right. Beautiful. And what is your biggest weakness? Um, probably just kind of wanting to do too much myself. Um, I've been pretty, uh, I made it a goal this year to really like delegate out and just like live with those consequences, (laughs) which has gone really well, actually. It's, it's been great. So yeah, I've been, I've been trying hard to let some things, um, 
let people run with their own. Yeah, and I think that's a problem a lot of us have. Uh, they say, you know, we people in this industry have a tendency to say yes to everything. So we're natural born people pleasers. We're ambition. We just keep saying yes, yes, yes to everything that comes to us. But everything you say yes to is one other thing you have to say no to. So be right. really careful about what you're committing to and put a lot of thought into saying yes because you don't want to say yes to everything and do everything okay. You want to do a few things really, really, really well. Um, you know, and to, to expand on that, I. I feel the same exact way. And I will say that like five or not even five, 10 years ago, um, I made it a point to say yes to everything, but I was in that absorbing, like just learning as fast as I could. And the things that I said yes to opened so many Mm. pathways and opportunities. So definitely I say, go for it until you have the responsibilities of like, running an entire business and then be very um, protective of your time yep, for sure. Absolutely. What's one piece of advice you have to becoming a better leader? Better leader. I think listening more, I think letting people talk and let, listen to them. Um, you know, it's easy to walk up to somebody and like, Hey man, how you doing? How you doing today? Everything cool. But just to be like, Hey, can I sit down with you for five minutes? And like, how's it going? What do you love about this job? What are some challenges? You know, just like listening more mm. to people. Getting to not just listening to what they're saying, but getting to know them, finding out what yeah. their interests and so you can help them get to where they're going. So powerful. Uh, Stephen R. Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. First seek to understand and then seek to be understood. I love it. Great stuff there. And what is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process when you're building these incredible teams that you have? Um, I like to ask them like what they're most excited about with this new, with the new direction. Um, you know, I don't really, I know history repeats itself and all that stuff. I don't really like to focus on, um, the past. Like, I don't like to say to people like, Oh, so, you know, what was a big challenge and that you overcame at your last job? No, I'm just like, Hey, like what excites you about this restaurant? And like, what do you want to get from it? And I feel like if those answers align with what we're doing, then it's going to be a good fit. Beautiful. What is a current challenge right now? How are you overcoming it? Yeah. Um, I mean, staffing is always a challenge, but, um, I guess my biggest challenge right now is at ramen. We are, um, kind of redoing the way we do service, our service model. We're counter service and we're going to keep that for lunch and we're going to switch to table service at night. And I just think it's going to be a really good way to engage with the customers. Um, and make sure that what we're doing is, as good as it can be. And so that's been the biggest challenge currently, just kind of going through all that it takes to change over to table service. It's, it's been like a little mini restaurant opening really is how I've looked at it, which is uh, last night was our first service and it was great. So feeling good about that. Beautiful. Um, what's one thing besides food your restaurant does well that separates you from other restaurants? Um, I think it's, I think the hospitality part of it, I mean, at hopscotch, for instance, we made it very clear from the beginning with our staff that if we close at nine, at 10, at nine fifty nine, if somebody walks in, they get the full meal, they can stay until midnight. Like yeah. that's, that's it, you know? And, uh, so many times I think people look at restaurants and they're like, Oh, it's nine thirty. They close at 10. We shouldn't even bother. They're going to be pissed at us when we get there, all this stuff. But, um, 
from the beginning and still for five years, it's been like, this is a place where you can just come in. Even as 1002 will let you in, you know, it's yeah. like, we want you to feel good here and at home. And so yeah. I think the hospitality part is, is what we do really well. I'm curious. Um, in like two or three words, what is hospitality to you? Well, I think hospitality is innate. Sorry, it's going to be more. I think it's innate. <laughs> That's one thing. I think that when we hire people, if they genuinely, like innately want to take care of somebody else, that's all we need. Uh, I mean, experience doesn't matter. We can, we can teach you that, but like if you genuinely care about what experience they're having, that's enough. So I think it's innate and genuine. Beautiful. I love it. And, uh, what's one book that will make us a better restaurant operator owner, or just better person in general that you can recommend? Yeah. I mean, restaurant books for me, well, from my personal relationship, having my wife, my girlfriend at the time, read Kitchen Confidential was awesome because then she kind of understood <laughs> from a different voice what what the restaurant industry is all about. Um, I remember reading the Four Star uh, um, with uh, you know chronicling uh, Danielle's uh, getting his Four Star. Uh, I thought that was really a very cool book for me at the time to kind of learn the um, like what it takes to push for that for that highest goal. And then, um, um, I'm blanking on it, but Danny Meyer's book about service, uh, that everyone's. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you said four star. Is it, is it called the fourth star or four stars? What's it called? Four star. Yeah. And it's like a, a journalist who, um, they had gotten three stars, uh, their first go around. And then that journalist had like embedded themselves, like doing stages and stuff like in the kitchen for a year while they like, kind of really pushed to get that four star. And, um, I don't know. I just thought that was a really cool book, especially at the time in my cooking, my young cooking life. I was like, wow, that's some hardcore <laughs> dedication, first, which I really love. That's the first time that was recommended on the show. So I'm gonna have to check it out. Uh, the yeah. fourth star and it's not on audible, but I'm sure it will be on, it will be on, um, Amazon, but I do know kitchen confidentials and, uh, setting the table are both on audible. And I don't know about you, Kyle, do you listen to audiobooks at all? Yeah. Game changer. Uh, and you can get those two books for free. If you're not already signed up, head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. You won't regret it. Uh, okay. The next question I have for you is what is one piece of technology you've recently adopted? That's having an impact and, your operation, whether it be better, making more use of time, more efficient, more profitable, anything like that. What are you using? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't want to just throw a plug to X again, but anyways, <laughs> <laughs> management systems. I mean, we use Shoebox at all three locations, and it's really great. Um, not just for uh, you know the ease of syncing with QuickBooks and all that stuff, but just just as a chef going through past invoices is so helpful to like price check and, um, and just, I just, I just enjoy that. So invoice management systems are really important. And really dive into how you're getting back time. Like what, what are like the, do you have any stats to go along with how your life is better now versus when you started and you weren't using it? Yeah, I mean, for instance, we used to have just file cabinets of invoices everywhere. <laughs> now we scan them and throw them away, you know? And so, like, uh, I can be anywhere remotely. And if you want to know what I paid for, like, 
our goose special two December's ago, <laughs> I can find that invoice pretty quickly. Oh, awesome. um, so just those kinds of things are um, really um, valuable to me because I don't have to be in the office. I don't have to thumb through the file cabinet and, um, yeah, and we don't have the clutter in here either. So beautiful shoebox, and uh, that's spelt S or sorry C H O U X B O X, I believe. Yep. So it's yep. not like a shoe that you put on your foot. Uh, yep. And I'll have that link in the show notes as well. This is episode three sixty seven. Head over to restaurantunstoppable dot com slash three six seven. You can find the link to that and the books that were just recommended. And with all the knowledge you have now, Chef Kyle, if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of business advice, what would it be and why? Oh man, at so many different stages, I would have so many different things to tell myself. But, um, you know, I think that just engaging with the people around you, um, and listening to them, uh, is, is everything like from the, you know, assistant general manager to the wine buyer, just like hearing what their daily struggles or concerns are, um, gives you such a broader perspective for what the entire restaurant is, or, you know, the whole restaurant needs to be successful. Beautiful. Is there one question that I could have asked you chef that would have brought more value to today's conversation or maybe a topic that we didn't get to discuss that you're kind of hoping we would. Um, no, I just think that, um, you know, really we, we, we touched on it, but the financials behind the restaurant is so important because, um, how you structure it and you talked about, you know, lawyers and things like that. I mean, definitely do all the things that you need to do, like hire the lawyer, hire the accounting company. Um, I think accounting is, is so crucial to everything. Um, restaurants are generally pretty tight on the books. And so if you know where your money is and where it's going, um, you can adjust fairly quickly. So I think that's like absolutely critical. Beautiful. That's awesome. And we wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. That's kind of how we found you. So who do you admire in this industry and think would make a great guest mentor like you've made for us today? Um, well, definitely my, my, my friend Daniel Holzman, the meatball shop. Uh, he's, he's, he's got a lot of value. He's added to my life for sure. Um, you know, just in growing hopscotch to entering into ramen. I mean, he just provides such great, um, knowledge, um, for sure. Um, yeah. Daniel Holzman, look out. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. It'd be an honor and let the folks at home know maybe if we're on the West coast and we want to come get mentored by you, learn a little bit about Japanese cooking and ramen. Uh, how can we connect? Um, yeah, email is great. I mean, you know, I, I try and respond to everybody. I get a lot of, uh, you know, people asking me questions and I really enjoy it. I really enjoy it. Like I said, um, I feel like I've put in a lot of work in this industry and being able to share it. Any social handles? Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, you know, Instagram's at Kylie Tani. The restaurants are at uh, Scotch One Rock, the number one, because that's how we prefer our drinks around here. And uh, at Itani Ramen and at Thistle Meats. 
beautiful. I'll have all those links in the show notes on how to connect. Uh, the, the recommended books and services all there. Again, this is episode 367. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 367. Chef Kyle, man, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come share your story, your advice with us, to be an example of somebody who just cares about other people, uh, which is really what it's all about. And, man, there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thanks, buddy. All right. Thanks so much. Cheers. That interview was awesome. Thank you, Chef Kyle, for coming on the show. Man, where to start? I think the big takeaway for me in today's episode was the emphasis that Kyle put on people. And you're only as good as your people. And you really got to exist to serve those people, even down to the systems. We're talking about the systems and how important systems are to the business, but you aren't anything without the right people. You need to create those systems, empower your people to do their job well, and then put great people in those systems. Huge takeaway from today's conversation and just his constant referral back to the people, his partner with the same standards and values and opening even the deli shop. He didn't, have a shop and then a person he had a person and then a shop and he said i need to do this so i can provide this person that i know this person who's in my life an opportunity to do what they do to do what they were put on this earth for and it's all about just providing that opportunity for everyone else around you living to serve to serve others to to, (laughs) existing to serve others it's so powerful uh man i i just had a great time speaking with chef kyle today and i hope you guys had a good time listening and like always guys i'm here to serve you take advantage of it write me an email eric at restaurant unstoppable or shoot me a message on twitter or instagram at eric cacciatore or on facebook slash restaurant unstoppable who do you admire in this industry who do you think I should be making an example of whose story needs to be told. Let's get them on the show. Let's have them share their story, share their advice, share their mentorship with us uh, so we can lean on each other and just make this podcast better than it is, even more awesome. Uh, And that's not uh, me saying I'm awesome. I'm saying these people I'm getting on the show, sharing their advice, sharing their their wisdom with us. it's, It's so just honoring to to be able to share their stories and these people are incredible and we need more great people to make an example of you shoot me an email let me know who you want to hear from let me know what your challenges are i'll get a consultant on the show an expert we'll learn together but you guys got to take that first step reach out to me keep those five-star reviews on itunes and stitcher radio coming they help so much and yeah special thanks to jared for helping me out with the editing and production he's killing it And if you want me to come to your city in the future, if you have some people, my ultimate goal is to take this thing on the road. So do reach out to me. Let me know if you have a a floor I can crash on or an air mattress. I'll make it happen. All right, guys. That's it for today. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. I love you all. And until next time, peace out.